The Start On Demand. Hi there, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today, we're going to talk about something cool that happened at the Emmys, and it's going to trigger a conversation about whether or not we would be okay with that. We're also going to speak to Global's Mike LeCouture about a politician in Ontario who decided she'd had enough of being a liberal and crossed the floor to join the Conservatives. The Bear Clan started in Winnipeg, now they're all over the place, and this week they're in northern Manitoba, helping out with a community that is reeling in the wake of allegations of abuse at the hands of hydro workers. We're also going to learn about agriculture in the classroom. Where does our food come from? That's what kids are learning this week as they tour different farms. And we are going to be quizzed in studio with household items like laundry detergent and toothpaste. We're going to match those products to different commodities that are grown right here in Manitoba. First, I do just want to touch on the Emmys. So neither of you watched them. You did, did you? I, I watched we... like an hour and a half. I I, 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 I tapped out at 8.30. Uh, and I'm a little surprised I didn't tap out sooner because what I saw of it was one of the most boring awards shows I've ever watched. Mm. And it makes me, it kind of reiterates my question, why do I watch these darn shows? <laughs> because because you, you love to judge won. the clothing. That's what I peg you for. Oh. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I, I, some generally speaking, no. But sometimes I do catch myself going, "Oh God, what is that?" What, I didn't really mean that accusation, but it's funny now that it might be forty percent true. Well, like Tiffany Haddish came out wearing, on I, I was torn actually on that subject because she was wearing a very, she looked like a rainbow. She looked like a Snapchat filter, like you and you open your mouth and a rainbow comes puking out of your face. That's kind of like it looked like a Snapchat filter just kind of erupted onto her. But at the same time, it was very colorful. <laughs> and she has such a, a colorful personality. She's sort of uh, an it girl in Hollywood right now. So uh, mm. I'm looking forward to seeing more from her. But and generally, no, I'm not the fashion police on that. Uh, but the, as far as the show was concerned, boring. The hosts, what are the guys' names from? Michael Sa- Che and uh, Colin Yost. Yeah, they. I don't. I actually think they are subpar on the weekend update. So well, as hosts, they were subpar. They followed in some pretty big footsteps, I think. And so now, if you're coming, like your life, you're like myself. Whoever once in a while comes back to SNL, then you're disappointed because it's not what you remember from even five years ago. If you think of Tina Fey and. Yeah, but as far as the shows are concerned, have either of you seen an episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Gray? Not even three seconds of it, not I even a trailer. I can honestly say I hadn't even heard of that. So could either of you name what network it's on? No. I think it's on Amazon. You are correct. And I think that is one of the... We, we sort of touched on this yesterday, that the Emmys are, are kind of becoming like the Oscars in a sense, because when you look at the list of nominees... For the the best drama or best comedy, you had the only show that was on network television was Blackish, and the only network show that was in the drama category was This Is Us, mm-hmm. and everything else is on a streaming or a premium cable service. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel won at the Golden Globes, and with Veep out of the way, I know you like Veep, right? Loved Veep or love Veep because it's coming back for one more season, right? Yep. 
Okay, good. Yeah, it's coming back. It just uh, it was away long enough that it was finally ineligible, which actually was nice because I, I, I get the Emmys likes a they like a dynasty. I don't like when they hand out the same award to the same people every single time. But uh, I finally watched the trailer this morning. It actually looks pretty funny. Here's a clip from the show. 15 years I've been working in clubs, okay? Twice have I seen someone deliver the goods. What are you talking about? How about your act? I am a mother. I don't have an act. And you will when we're done. Hi, everybody. I heard some uptown chick got arrested doing a set. What's the crime? Simulating a sex act while on stage. That's bullshit. This is Set in the late 1950s in New York, it's about a woman whose marriage falls apart and she kind of inadvertently becomes a stand-up comedian. Okay. And the trailer actually was very funny and it cleaned up last night. It won five awards. Oh, wow. Uh, one, it won for all its acting awards and writing and directing and then, of course, it won the best comedy. And oddly enough, the, the, the best supporting actress category was Alex Borstein, who is the voice of Lois in Family Guy, so that's where you might uh, recognize her. It's f- kind of funny hearing her normal voice. It's far more, it's a lot deeper than the Lois character, so it was neat to see her in her, her real face. In, in person. And then Game of Thrones won the best drama. There is only one war that matters, and it is here. So I had a, as I was watching this last night, and I, I was thinking, what could the Emmys do because the ratings are dwindling and they're continuing to dwindle and now that they're they're picking more and more shows that fewer people are watching I think the Emmys I think they need to separate I think they should have categories for network television so best network TV comedy and drama and then best for cable and streaming and why because their playing field so different and how they're doing things or two that's that that's one reason i'm glad you touched on that because greg you often say that you feel like the cable shows have an unfair advantage right yeah they're unfettered in terms of their language uh the storylines that they can tackle and the way they can tell stories is obviously they're 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 the handcuffs are off man yeah but also i think too just for the general television viewing public the people who like the shows like The Big Bang Theory, which is still one of its the most popular comedy on television. All of the most popular shows... Didn't even get a sniff. Other than Game of Thrones, which is, I think, arguably the biggest television show on the planet. And it won, I think, based on its popularity. Although its ambition, it's such a big and ambitious show. It had some of the coolest moments I've ever seen. Overall, as a season, it was okay, but it's still my favorite show. And deserves recognition. Absolutely. On the same stage, right? On the same platform to the same magnitude. But I do think that they should have network TV categories, just like the Oscars. I don't know why the Oscars doesn't have a comedy category. That just I, infuriates uh, yeah, me. Yeah, no, for sure. And then things get end up in the same, you know, like the musicals end up with the comedies that end up with the drama. I mean, there, I feel like there needs to be... Not that I want a longer awards show, <laughs> yeah, but more yeah. categories. I don't know. Well, I think what you do is you just you trim all the like because the Emmys they have their creative arts Emmys where they hand they hand out all the behind the scenes stuff in a separate. So the 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 ones that get nominated or that get shown at the Emmys, they do writing, directing, but everything else is acting and the shows. They just get you the 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 meat. Uh, they don't you don't have to worry about cinematography and best costume design and best hair and makeup but so the, that's the show show was boring what i watched of it taped it don't know if i'm going to continue even bother watching it although i do want to watch at the very least this 
Show stealer. Yeah, so speaking of the Oscars, director of that program, Glenn Weiss took the stage to accept the Emmy for his work as the director of last year's Oscars. And after he made the obligatory thank yous to the people that make him look good and would never speak to him if he didn't thank, he then shifted (laughs) gears to a place many of us can relate. I'm really grateful to be here, uh, but it's bittersweet. Uh, the person most proud at this moment would be my mom, and she passed away just two weeks ago. I, uh, my, part of my heart is broken. I don't think it will ever be repaired, but um, she's in me, and she always will be. Mom always believed in finding the sunshine in things, and she adored my girlfriend, Jan. Jan, you are the sunshine in my life. And mom was right. Don't ever let go of your sunshine. So he wasn't done. He went into overdrive. The music not playing him off by now? You wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend? Because I want to call you my wife. I didn't ask yet. So his girlfriend, Jan Svensson, made her way to the stage as the entire uh, theater stood. Hamish, I'm going to be a moment. This is the ring that my dad put on my mom's finger 67 years ago. And to my sisters and brothers, I didn't swipe it. Dad knows I have it, okay? Jan, I want to put this ring that my mom wore on your finger in front of all these people and in front of my mom and your parents watching from above. Will you marry me? So, did this guy make the show or did he steal the show? I think this is why people watch the awards shows. It's because it's always the possibility of something spontaneous happening. Clearly not, but this guy obviously had this planned. Yeah, I think he did. It almost sounded like he was talking to the director of the Emmy saying, I'm going to need a minute. Oh, yes. So they clearly were in cahoots that this was happening. As you pointed out, they did not play him off. I, 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 I will definitely go back and watch this. I think that's wonderful and quite touching. Uh, especially after the story of his mother. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, once I heard that part about his mom in the ring and talking to his brothers, I thought that was pretty sweet. You need to be, I mean, he arranged it clearly with the directors of the show. He arranged it potentially even with his partner. I don't know. I feel like if you're going to do that, you better be darn sure your spouse-to-be is okay with that level of public exposure because suddenly you're on the stage and all you were thinking is you might show up in a cutaway shot, you know, clapping (laughs) for your husband or your spouse and suddenly you are the story, right? So you need to you need to know she's going to like that. Well, Kev, the garbage man texted in. It's like a Jumbotron proposal. Ugh. <laughs> Corny. Mackling McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte and Master Control. And we were just talking about the Emmys and how at the Emmys last night, Glenn Weiss, who won the award for Best Directing of a Variety Show for 
directing the Oscars, proposed to his girlfriend on stage. And she accepted. And he used his mother's engagement ring. His mom just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And it was a very touching, teary moment at the Emmys. And everyone stood and clapped. And now we want to know what you think about public proposals. Kevin the Garbage Man already weighed in saying it's like one of those jumbotron proposals. McNabb, what do you think of the public proposal? Generally speaking, I'm against them. So it's hard with this one because I'm watching it after the fact. So it's easy to say, oh, that's really nice. How nice. But in that moment, I don't know if I would have felt that way. I do know I've been at games, you know, and you see it on the Jumbotron or you watch it after. It might be because that's just not something I would have wanted. Like, I I like to keep it private. But I also I also have seen I mean, there was a story out of Fenway Park last year where a guy proposed to a girl and then the camera had to cut away because I don't think she said yes. And the crowd was chanting, say yes, say yes. (laughs) And so I just I live in fear of that. Not for anyone, but I don't know. It's such a private thing to put on a huge stage. How on a touch do you have to be to deliver a public proposal like that and then have her say no? Well, that's the thing. You better have it guaranteed and uh, uh, be 100.1% sure (laughs) that uh, yes is going to be the answer because I I, uh, have seen a few of those train wrecks and it's not at all comfortable. And it's especially, especially tough on the the bride who doesn't want to be. And it could be in that moment that the woman, she loved this man, and then when he goes ahead and proposes to you in this public display, and you're like, wait a minute, you might not know me at all if you are doing this to me, and then you start to second-guess why it's happening. I don't know. It was sweet to hear in the after, but I I, I generally don't like them. What about you, Bron? I love it. Why? Bring it on. Uh, Again, with the caveats, like Kelly said, you got to know that you're getting that yes to the question. And, uh, I mean, it'll, it depends on the couple. If you're going to do it at a jumbotron at a football game and you're a sports guy and your fiance or your girlfriend hates sports, hates football, you've dragged her through this game, she doesn't <laughs> like being the center of attention, then it's stupid to do it. But yeah. if you know, I mean, obviously you should know what sort of a woman she is, if she would enjoy that sort of thing. And then if that's the case... Go for it. I love it. How could you not love having 40,000 people cheering for you? But here we are on Tuesday morning talking about this when the entire show was about the accomplishments of people working in television, your colleagues, and you've sort of stolen that spotlight. Do you remember that story we discussed on our afternoon show a couple of years ago, Brett, about the about the groomsmen who proposed to his betrothed <laughs> at, at the else, wedding? Yeah, someone else's I mean, it's wedding. Like, yeah. Dude! That's insane. That's, I think it was the efficient. You thought it was efficient? No, I think he, no, I think he was the official. Yeah, he was their That's friend. That's right. Yeah. He wasn't the groomsman. That's right. He was conducting the service. You're yeah. good memory. Yeah. That's different, though. That's obviously insane and horrible. This last night. <laughs> last obviously night, insane and last horrible. Last night, it's millionaires handing gold trophies to each other. You can afford to take 30 seconds from and their was, attention. Was he not just sort of stealing the moment from himself? Because I don't know who he is or what he won for until Brett said it was for yeah, directing for the Oscars. Directing Oscars, a variety series. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I didn't special. even know that. So, so now you know who he is. I know who he is because <laughs> he proposed, right? So he stole, if anything, he stole a moment from... You, well, you know what? You wouldn't know who he is this morning had it not happened. No. 
That's Morgan, very the true. The name would not have ever entered your brain. I'm surprised I saw it happen because usually when that sort of category comes up, I take a break. And would we even be talking about the Emmys this morning? Yeah, so we're not talking about Henry Winkler, the fact that after 52 years in television, this man finally has an Emmy Award. And have you seen his show? Yeah, yeah, Barry. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that, that's the, and again, uh, you know, full disclosure, total dinosaur, only watch TV, don't know all of these Hulus and Amazon. You still have channel and, 5, 6, 7, and 12. No, 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 I do watch it HD. I do watch it. But I have, you know what, it was very easy for me to quickly depart from the Emmys because I'd never heard of any of these shows. Yeah, and that's, that's why I think they should have a separate category for network TV shows and then cable and streaming. And then that way they're not sort sort of fighting for this because the network shows are. You, you notice though what all that's the, the network's fault though they they can they just need to try harder. They, you know, they, they don't try hard. Enough. No, they can't. The, like some of the network shows can't beat the rules that they're confined to. That no the parameters shouldn't like there are a lot of really good shows in the history of time that had to deal with the same parameters. Seinfeld. It, had to deal with those same parameters. It's the best show of all time. Right, but no swearing, no sex, no, I mean, there's... Well, no, Seinfeld they, doesn't swear on stage, so... It, that's it, and it wasn't it. up against live streaming either. Still would have won. Still would have won. Mackley, McGarry, McNabb on 680 CJOB, and you just heard a few moments ago, or in case you're just tuning in, question of the day at CJOB.com. Would you be okay with your MP or MLA crossing the floor to another political party? And so far, it is 68% in favor of no. Pardon me, now it's 65% no, 35% yes. So you can log on at cjob.com. And why is that our question, Loren McNabb? Well, because it just happened in Ottawa. She's a Liberal MP no more. Leona Alslev, who represents the Aurora Richmond Hill riding, which is just north of Toronto, crossing the floor Monday to join the Conservative Party. And of course, there has been all sorts of reaction and fallout to this. Global National's Mike Couture joins us from Ottawa now. Thanks for taking the time with us, Mike. A pleasure to be on your show, guys. So give us give us a rundown. She basically said enough is enough and she's done with her party and moving on. Yeah, and basically fit right into the talking points of the Conservative Party, saying that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau isn't delivering on what he said he would in 2015. The economy is not in a better place. Canada is not in a better place on the world stage. And she, like I said, said some of the exact same talking points, saying that she believes strong leadership lies within the Conservative Party and Andrew Scheer. Now, Scheer, who's known for his uh, very deep dimples and wide smile, well, I can tell you, all yesterday, you couldn't wipe that grin off of his face because obviously on the first day back of Parliament in the fall session, the government wanted to talk about trade and the CPTPP, something that the Conservatives had helped to negotiate. So it was supposed to be the start of the session and saying, look at what, what we've delivered. Instead, that message completely sidetracked. All anybody was talking about was the floor crossing and this coup for the Conservatives. Well, it was a literal floor crossing as well. Very, fairly theatrical, Mike. And of course, the Conservatives would love this. What's the reaction been by and from the Liberal Party and the Liberal Caucus? Well, some of the Liberals uh, have, some of the sources have told us anyways that uh, she was upset, uh, Alice Love was, that, that she was stripped of her parliamentary secretary role. Interesting to note, guys, is that um, after question period, it can 
tend to get a little slow in the foyer of the House of Commons where the journalists are. Robert Falcon Willette, the MP for Winnipeg Centre, came out, looked at all the cameras that were just waiting there for uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Christian Freeland, to come out. But Falcon Willette said, I'd like to say something on this floor crossing. So we figured, okay, fine, fire up the cameras. What do you have to say? And he basically said that he was always able to raise his voice and continues to be able to raise his voice as a backbencher. Um, and vote against the government. He pointed to a couple of times that he voted against the government, uh, notably on time allocation, on debate, uh, and said that he's had some very frank conversations with the Prime Minister, uh, oftentimes didn't didn't agree with him, but believes that is what standing up for con your constituents uh, is, is all about. And I asked him, I said, so do you think it was cowardly that she then crossed the floor? And he, he hesitated to say cowardly, but said, look, I've always been able to have my voice heard. Uh, essentially saying that maybe she wasn't speaking loud enough or maybe she wasn't speaking up at all. Um, so yeah, the Liberals feel that it's a loss and it is a stinging blow to lose a member of the caucus on day one, uh, especially when you consider that um, she was at the caucus in, in Saskatoon and as late as late July, she was tweeting welcome messages when the Prime Minister stopped by her riding of Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, and even in the last line of the tweet saying she was excited to go to battle in the 2019 election campaign with the Liberal team. So clearly, she had a really bad August at some point and had a complete falling out with this party. Have you chatted with any voters? I haven't myself, but I know the news teams around Toronto have, uh, and they went into the riding. And a lot of the reaction there, it's funny that uh, you mentioned that poll of uh, about 65% of people saying they um, you know, are not happy about their MP crossing the floor. Um, and you know, obviously it's not a scientific thing when you go out with a camera and ask people, or a camera and microphone and ask people what they think. But the vast majority of voters that are teams in the, in the Toronto area that went out to that riding found uh, is that they were upset with her because they voted for her as a liberal uh, candidate, not as a conservative candidate. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the 2019 election. Also interesting that that riding, um, she only won by a few percentage points in 2015, and that riding in the provincial election swung massively to the PC party and Doug Ford's party. So maybe she felt some winds of change blowing in her riding and felt, you know what, I want, might want to be on that train before it leaves the station. But it will be interesting to see whether or not her voters, the people who voted for her um, in the 2015 election, will you know strike back at her and say, we didn't vote for you and the fact that you voted, sorry, we voted for you, but not as a conservative. And the fact that you crossed the floor, well, they may still feel that when they're casting their ballots. Well, that's the question, I think, from some of the listeners we've had this morning is, was this about her? Was this about the party? Was this a personal decision? And, you know, you mentioned that she was expressed eagerness to run as a liberal and now all of a sudden wants to be a conservative. And you have to wonder if it's more about saving her own seat than it is about putting sides to a party. Yeah, and you, you wonder whether or not... Um, you know what she stands for and what she ran on i mean um are, are strong enough or was she more of a um a, you know a small l liberal um or you know or, or a blue liberal as some people would describe you know with conservative leanings it'll be interesting to see because now i mean look guys yesterday in the house i obviously this was well orchestrated 
because she did it uh, blindsided the liberals. Not many liberals were around her in the benches. Everybody in the conservative benches were there. And then she was one of the questions, the lead-off question period yesterday. So clearly, um, this was coordinated by the conservatives. The conservatives wanted to make sure that she was asking the government that she just left a pointed question and making sure that that was very much on TV for everyone to see. This is not something that they wanted to just happen at the beginning of question period, get a little bit of news and then go away. They clearly want to stick this in, in the face of the liberals and want to continue to do this. And Shear said that right after the floor crossing. He came out, met with the press, uh, and I'll just quote from him, him here. He said, if, like Leona, you supported um, and trusted Justin Trudeau and the Liberals in the last election, and you're frustrated and even angry with the, the ineffective leadership, um, you, know, you, are, and are both, you are both welcome and needed in the Conservative Party of Canada. So clearly they crafted all of these lines and hoping to hold up Alice Lev as the typical voter out there and saying, look, she did it, you can do it too in 2019, come join us. Global Nationals, Mike LeCouture joining us from Ottawa. Thank you very much for the time and access. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb on 680 CJOB and Loren, members of the Bear Clan are in northern Manitoba this morning in hopes of helping members of the Fox Lake Cree Nation. Well, we all know what good work the Bear Clan has done in Winnipeg and right across this country in many cases. So Bear Clan leader James Favel was actually approached earlier this year to see if it would make sense to establish some sort of chapter in that northern community of Fox Lake. And then that conversation really picked up steam last month when a report done by an arm's length agency took a look at the impact of decades old hydro projects in Fox Lake and detailed some serious allegations of abuse and racism at the hands of workers in the 1960s. So this week, James Favel flew north to speak to community members to see if the Bear Clan could help heal wounds old and new. And he joins us on the phone now. James, a little cooler up there this morning than the 10 degrees we're seeing here. It's quite brisk, all right. I bet it is. Tell us a little bit about what brought you there. What, what are you hoping to accomplish in Fox Lake Cree Nation? Well, again, it's about healing for their community. Um, we're here to, or at least I'm here to try to help and and, uh, and get that process started. Um, yeah, the, the report that came out was definitely uh, problematic. Uh, we did make the commitment to come out a couple weeks uh, before that report came out, but uh, it definitely it proves the urgency here. What do community leaders tell you, James, when you sit down with them and you have these initial discussions? Uh, you know, in a broad sense, you've outlined uh, the goal, but how are you going to go about doing that, creating that that atmosphere for for, well, for for healing? For for the most part, I've done my part. I came up and I, I did my presentation to them yesterday and I, I talked to them about, you know, the, the Bear Plan model and how it can work for them and now it's, it's up to the community to, to pick it up and, and do the hard work. I mean, realistically, you know, I'm going to go back home today and they're going to be left here to, to do that hard work. What are people there feeling and, and what can a group like the Bear Clan do to uh, assuage some of those wounds? Well, again, like you can tell that they, by the fact that they called me up, that, that they're having, you know, serious issues and they, they are motivated now at this point to get something done and, and I'm just happy that, you know, I'm part of that, that process. 
The Bear Clan has been established in dozens of communities now. James, speak to us a little bit about what you've heard from the various places you've been in terms of what it can add to a community. Is it really about more that sense of everyone working together for the same goal, or is it does it really help with the neighborhood watch or even reducing crime or worries in some cases? I think it's it's more about unification, you know, of the community, uh, reconciliation of the, the the larger community. It's about bringing people together and and getting focused on a common goal. And and it, it it's really been working. Uh, the the things that I'm hearing nationwide, they're you know, I'm a trucker. I've been all over Canada. I've done winter roads. I've been all over northern Manitoba and northwestern Ontario. And the what I'm seeing at every community is is almost identical. I mean, the shades are different, but it's all the same. The the drugs, the uh, the abuse, you know, the it's it's all the same, and and everybody has a common goal. Now we just need to get on the same page as as to dealing with it. James, we've all seen footage of you in various communities and neighborhoods. Uh, for example, with garbage bags picking up syringes, just gobs of syringes. Do you ever feel like you're you're fighting a losing battle at all? Well, it's definitely an uphill battle, but as long as you're working at it, it's never a loss, right? It's always, there's always gains being made and we're just going to keep going. It's frustrating, I'll tell you, but we're not going to stop. I mean, we just started really, we're still inside of our first five years and and I'm I'm looking forward to looking back at the five years and, and, you know, recognizing some of the accomplishments. James, uh, I first ran across you personally uh, at Cooper Nemeth Smudge Ceremony, and yeah. you welcomed uh, the entire community into the Gateway Community Complex. And that ceremony, I learned more about First Nations traditions and about the idea of healing in that hour or so than I think I had in the in the previous forty plus years of my life to that point. Wow. Is that is that is that part of of the reconciliation process? Is just us in the most difficult of times coming together as a greater community? I know those are your words, and I apologize for stealing them and no. and handing them back to you. Well, and and that's the thing. What I'm what I'm seeing is out of tragedy is becoming we're we're finding a healing born, you know, out of tragedy, and, and sadly that's that seems to be the only way we're we're making those gains. But you know, it, it is what it is, and we're gonna deal with it and and. And, you know, again, we were welcomed into their community. It's not that we invited them into ours, you know, we were able to share with them. And, and the fact that they were receptive to it is, is what's different. And, and I think that's what we're seeing uh, across the board is that there is a, a greater willingness to work together. And we really need to capitalize on that, you know, strike while the iron's hot and, and really connect now while, while people are, are open to it. James Fable, leader of the Bear Clan, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time. Thank you. Bear Clan in Fox Lake Cree Nation today helping members of that community. It is Manitoba's Farm and Food Awareness Week. And, Loren, uh, we've brought in a special guest to tell us about that. Well, as we speak, hundreds of kids are making their way or are already at a few farms just south of Winnipeg on Highway 75, going through uh, a couple of tests and some fun activities to, to basically learn where our food comes from. We live in this big city, and often when we leave the perimeter, we might not be paying attention to what's growing in the fields beside us or, or what's roaming through the pastures. And so Sue Clayton is the executive director of Agriculture in the Classroom and is in studio with us to, to explain a bit about that. Thanks, Sue. 
Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. So they're they're on the farms now. What's the point? Obviously, is to get them to be a bit more aware of their food. But how do you do that? How do you get the kids to be engaged about what's on their plate and what might be in their own backyard? Exactly. And we do that uh, through a couple of means. One is resources, which we provide for teachers. And we have a teacher on staff. And so everything that we do is curriculum linked because agriculture is not actually part of the curriculum anywhere. But there's a lot of ways to weave that into the curriculum. And so we have a teacher on staff that does that for us and makes it makes it easy for teachers to use our resources in the classroom. And then we have programs. And the one that you referenced this week is called Amazing Agriculture Adventure or AAA. And we have um, two farms, Richardson's Kelburn Farm and the University of Manitoba's Glenlee Research Station, the Bruce D. Campbell Farm and Food Discovery Centre. And those farms are just a few miles apart. And we have over 700 kids out there this week for three days. And we run them through 13 interactive hands-on stations. Everything's got to be hands-on, interactive, fun. And so the stations are 11 or 12 minutes each. So the kids just go, go, go. And then at lunchtime, we bring in an auctioneer and they have a live auction for cookies. They've never seen an au- heard an auctioneer before. It's hilarious to watch them listen to the auctioneer for the first time. And they've got fake money they've been earning all morning and that they bid on their cookies, and it's just so much fun. You mentioned something interesting there, that in this province where agriculture is a multi-billion dollar industry, that we're not actually teaching a a course on agriculture in the classrooms. It's more about people like yourself trying to, to, it's kind of fascinating that we're not doing that. Exactly. And and even though education is a a provincial jurisdiction, really that's happening nationally across Canada. It's agriculture is not part of the curriculum and it's becoming so in a few provinces. It's a slow, slow moving train because curriculum takes a lot of years to to write. But um, the Department of Education has been wonderful and we have a good relationship with them. And so we're we're slowly working our way in. Why is it important then? To take these kids out to these farms rather than just tell them, why is it better to show them? Because it's because then they really get it. They understand it. I mean, they've never seen the machinery. They don't know what the crops look like. Like when you're driving down the highway and you see those yellow flowers, like I think everyone knows that's canola. They don't. So, I always thought it was mustard. <laughs> it was. You know, years ago, there, Manitoba grew a lot of mustard. But we don't grow as, as much mustard anymore. What do you mean, so normally what do you mean a canola. long time ago? You're looking at me like... Long, that, long yeah, time I'm saying when I was a kid. I know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, it used to be mustard. There's a little mustard, but it's mostly canola. And there used to be a lot of flax. And you know, that was when you're driving down the highway and you see that field of, it looked like water, that blue. Mm-hmm. And we don't grow a lot as much flax anymore. But it's just, it's when the kids see it and they touch it and they feel it. And I was telling Loren, like one little girl, we were crushed doing wheat grinding at this event and she saw the flour that came out of the wheat and she said I always thought that flour came from powdered marshmallows it's like okay <laughs> we got some work this to do why here. we are here <laughs> well you know I can think back uh, to my educational experiences and the ones that always stuck with us were the, the trips to Laura Fort Gary exactly. when you saw them and we actually sat and spun wool and you saw the blacksmith doing his thing and you got the nail I was like oh my god I got the nail it was yeah. a great thing or you go to Austin to the incredible museum there and you see these giant machines and the and the and the water wheel and everything at the you know everything Thing in action, you see it, you it's, touch it, it, yeah, it, it, beca- yeah. it becomes that experience becomes a part of you versus just reading it in a book. Yeah, that's what they remember the fun activities, the fun they have, and then they remember something from it. So when they're in the dairy at Glen Lee and they're actually getting to put their fingers into the milking machine, 
like the cows, how the cows are milked and they see that. I mean, that's amazing to them. Sue Clayton is our guest executive director of agriculture in the classroom, Manitoba, and the website, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, aitc.mb.ca? Absolutely. Our guest is Sue Clayton, executive director of agriculture in the classroom, Manitoba. It's Manitoba's Farm and Food Awareness Week, and lots of kids from grade four and five are participating in 12 hands-on workshops uh, throughout Manitoba, and you've brought with you, Sue, four products that you're gonna, we're going to try to match to the, the commodity. You've got some laundry detergent, some toothpaste, some mascara, and some uh, air uh, shaving cream? Yeah. Okay. So and, let's start with the shaving cream. Okay. So do you think that shaving cream, that one of, one of these commodities is in the shaving cream? So it's corn, corn cattle, cattle, wheat, or canola. Okay. I'm going to go with, uh, with the cattle. Cattle? Corn. Corn? I'm going with cattle. I don't know why I shouted there. Corn. <laughs> okay, cattle is the correct answer. Fatty acids from the fat in the cattle add textural properties like smoothness and moisturizing I have properties. to be honest. I was going to go with corn, but then she gave me a hint <laughs> during the commercial break, so I cheated. You needed a hint? Well, I... I, I wanted to make sure I that started, Farmer McNabb... <laughs> I started to go... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the next one? What's okay, next let's one go here? with toothpaste. This is fun. Toothpaste. So you've already got the cattle. So you've got corn, wheat, and canola left. Losers to- goes first. Uh, canola. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Corn. I'm saying corn too. Yep. Okay, toothpaste corn is the right answer. And because corn starch from the corn is used to thicken the toothpaste. Now, you're not completely wrong. Because there is glycerin from canola to give it the right texture. So there it's kind of one there of those we go. where, you know. Corn yeah, is the obvious yeah. answer. I was going for the subtle ingredient. Mascara. Sure. Is that my shade? Mascara. So we're, we're going to say that that first one was corn and we've used cattle. So we have wheat and canola left. Okay. Canola. Wheat. Mm, I'm going to lean towards canola. No, wheat is the correct answer. Yeah. The wheat protein is used to provide texture for long lashes. Wow. So that means our, uh, our, our detergent here. Laundry detergent is canola, and really? that's the glycerin in the canola. So created that. in Manitoba, right? Canola Absolutely. Is, a, is an engineered, that's technically, I guess, would you call it a GMO? Technically, well, because it was engineered, right? Canola doesn't exist in nature. No, canola is a crop that was developed at the University of Manitoba right. by Balder Stephenson. Right. Yeah. That's so amazing. Then. But so almost everything you eat has been kind of engineered. Like if you think of seedless watermelon, right. think of carrots are orange. Uh, they They're actually they, really purple, right? In yeah. nature, right? Yeah. Carrots. So you think of all these different things that you eat, that, but you don't realize that that's not how it originally started off in nature. Is there anything in grocery stores that we go and eat that actually is not food, like it's just engineered crap, to put it rather bluntly? I don't know, but see, we could have a long conversation about what you said engineered crap, and I, I think that genetic engineering is a, like, a like tool I'm, I'm that ta- we're using. Like I'm talking about like, yeah, like not, like nothing, not healthy. Right? Like, yeah, cheese, like cheese oh. Whiz is like, is, is like a, a well, cheese sure. food product. or a, Sure, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in the grocery store that we buy that aren't good for us, yeah. <laughs> like potato chips or something like that. Yeah, like where do those come from? I, like, I love potato chips, but what about <laughs> but, I mean, all this stuff good. that goes into them? <laughs> Well, I mean, there's all these byproducts that go into food to make it last longer, right? Yep. To have a longer shelf life. And so, I mean, yeah, I think you need to be aware when you're looking at labels, what you're looking at. But, um, I mean, 
that's part of what we're trying to teach kids is to be aware of of like to think critically about where their food comes from and to not just listen to what they see in a movie or or you know that they read somewhere like look at the where that where's that information coming from and really learn about how your food is grown and where it comes from so that you can make good choices when you go to the grocery store. And maybe to have a bit of pride too, though, because as you're driving down the highway and you're looking at these crops, you know, you stop, you look at corn, you think corn, I eat corn. I can relate to that, but you're not thinking about all the other things that the byproducts of that go exactly. into, like the soaps and the and all the rest. Yeah, but- like the the dashboard of your car. I mean, all these things, heart valves, like all these things are products of agriculture that, I mean, you wouldn't, you'd be, we'd be naked and starving without agriculture. AITC.mb.ca <laughs> is the website. Sue Clayton has been our guest. She is Executive Director of Agriculture in the Classroom, Manitoba. Sue, thanks for coming in and for bringing a little game with you. That was fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me there. Who won in the end? Me? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Just yeah. wanted to get that. I think it was Brett you, Brett. Won. I think Brett you all won. did for well, playing the game. We each had two. Yeah, I cheated. <laughs> and then we both one, got though. mascara wrong. Greg got that right, and then de- detergent was still on the table. Right. So technically, it would be me and you, Pete, Greg. The Start on Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.